Welcome everybody. My name is Nate Jones. I am the uh, CEO and co-founder at Structurally. Uh, we've got a really exciting episode today of the ISA Radio with our friends at Hatch Coaching, Hatch Realty, uh, Eric Hatch, Robbie Trefton. Um Guys, can you tell us a little bit about your business? Robbie, I, I'm very bad at pronouncing your last name. I'm sure everyone is. You crushed it, man. Just uh, There's a reason I started going by Robbie T, right? Yep. Uh, <laughs> this is the first time I've actually tried to pronounce it live, so. You did well. You did yeah. well, man. Yeah. Uh, guys, sounds like a, a as he says you. it, his last name sounds like a pharmaceutical drug. Trevor yeah, that's true. Yep. I've heard that one. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so uh, thank you for the introduction, and uh, it, it should be known that Robbie and I are huge fans of Structurally. Uh, you're not even paying us to say that. We just simply like you guys a lot, and we think that what you're doing in the uh, ISA and artificial intelligence world are game-changing. So uh, really elated to be partnered with you on this. Uh, here at here in Fargo, North Dakota, uh, we have a couple of different ventures that are rolling out, and it all started with Hatch Realty. Uh, we run our real estate uh, company as a team. Uh, so our team consists right now of 35 people. That includes three expansion markets. Uh, we run a different model than most people do, even that are running teams. Uh, in 2018, we did 664 closed transactions, just a hair under 5 million in volume, excuse me, 5 million in GCI, and just over 150 million in volume. So we've had a fun run of things so far. Um, about three and a half years ago, uh, I had been getting coached and I was doing some coaching on the side and really felt like we had a unique voice in the market. And it was different than what other people were doing. And so uh, especially with Robbie by my side uh, and I'll let Robbie share uh, his story and his journey. Um, <clears throat> but what happened is uh, we saw that there was a need and an opportunity for us to uh, try to influence and impact in the best possible way. And so thus we uh, curated Hatch Coaching now. Uh, we, uh, we cater to some of the top coaching uh, clients, some of the top realtors in the country, and we are honored uh, to be a part of it. So, uh, Robbie, your journey has been similar but different. Yeah, I started on the team uh, back, geez, it would be January of 2014. Does that sound right? I mix up yeah. all the years uh, uh, a while ago. And I started on the team as an, as an ISA, which is why we created this whole uh, the ISA radio and everything goes along with it. Um, and uh, when I came into the game, uh, I remember my first day I, I walked in and, and um, Eric kind of gave me a, remember that script book, right? An, an old school <laughs> script book <laughs> uh, filled with, I want to refer to it as a bunch of junk because it was all focused on, I, I like to say, manipulating, coercing, and, and really trying to take advantage of the other person. And uh, what I found was I, I wanted to create a way that really put the other person first because uh, I think that's a better way to and a more sustainable way to do business. And, and in my heart, it felt right. So went down that route. And uh, now, uh, you know, we had some major success. We have an ISA department uh, now with five full-time ISAs, of course, and they were featured on one of the other podcasts um, as well. And uh, I have the privilege and honor of coaching uh, most uh, or a lot of the top uh, teams and, and ISA teams throughout the country. So that's me. Awesome. Yeah. And um, for everyone listening, definitely check out the, the sixth episode of the ISA radio. So you can hear uh, firsthand from, from these ISAs uh, with hatches as we referred to them on the episode, the actual rainmakers. Of yeah. the <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. And I, I agree a hundred percent, man. Yep. 
Awesome. So we're we're switching this one up a little bit today. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily ISA focused, not necessarily script focused, but um, mm -hmm. kind of giving you the inside look into the culture that has been built at Hatch um, from the Rainmaker himself, Mr. Eric Hatch. Um, the I pseudo wanted, Rainmaker, right? Pseudo Rainmaker. Pseudo, yeah. Yeah. We'll just yeah. say everyone's kind of a Rainmaker <laughs> right now. So um, we're, we're going to kind of dive into culture and how you can build mm -hmm. culture uh, successfully. Like the, the guys at, uh, at Hatch have, um, they might not agree that they have, uh, have it, ha had it figured out from the start, but as we like to say every time here, um, we've kind of fumbled forward and figured out the right culture uh, mm -hmm. to attract and retain some of the top producing uh, talent in the industry. So guys, can you kind of tell me a little bit about the culture at Hatch and kind of how you got there, uh, where you're at today? Uh, so let me interject first. If you are watching live right now, I encourage you to ask some questions in the comment uh, section. Uh, we would love to uh, answer any questions that you might have as we go through this. And if we can't answer during this, we certainly will answer afterwards. Uh, mm -hmm. So please make this interactive instead of just a one-way conversation. Uh, here's the story, Nate Jones, as best as I can articulate it, is uh, I got into real estate full-time in 2011. Uh, my previous life was involved in ministry. I uh, worked at the local church that I was baptized and raised in, and I spent uh, eight years out of college uh, pouring into kids. Loved the gig, hated the pay, and my family really was at a place where we needed uh, to make some financial moves in order to actually be parents. Uh, we had some major infertility and uh, I had to pay for it out of pocket. So jumped into real estate full-time in 2011. I sold 52 houses on my own with a part-time college student as an assistant. 2012, I started a team. Uh, we, we were four people as of January 1st and 13 people as of December 31st. Uh, I had expanded into the commercial world and across the state of North Dakota. Um, we sold 192 houses that year. I was 113 of the 192. So I was 60% of our production as well as uh, running in every direction. And in 2013, I was given the wonderful opportunity uh, to start over as my company kicked me out. And, and what happened in that, Nate, is uh, <clears throat> I was so egotistical and cocky and I thought my crap didn't stink. And I was in a place where uh, I thought we had a great culture because we just preached culture and we used that word culture. And by the way, the word culture is completely watered down. Yeah, uh, it, it is overused. And the fact that we're having a culture uh, conversation here gets me fired up and also diluted at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. But what happened is when I thought my culture was great and after I got kicked out, my 13 team members turned into myself and two other people, just three of us overnight, because I thought my culture was creating an environment that everybody wanted to be in. And it wasn't. It was instead creating an environment that everybody ran from except for two people. And so I realized that something I was doing was wrong. And what I was doing is I was creating a culture where everyone was a sidekick, a crony. Uh, they were riding my coattails essentially. And uh, when given the opportunity, they ran from it pretty quickly. And so I realized that we had to get intentional with our culture. And it wasn't about the number of transactions that I did. It was about the number of transactions they could do. 
And it wasn't about the life that I could live. It was the life that I could empower them to live. And so when we started over in April of 2013, this was just nine months before Robbie came on, nine months before we opened up Hatch Realty and created our own brokerage, we really did it differently. And I wanna, I wanna transition to you, Robbie, because you came into our world mm-hmm. uh, having not known the previous, only hearing horror stories of what it was like <laughs> uh, previously. But I, I think that we did pretty well by you in terms of uh, building a runway for you, but mm-hmm. with you realistically. So what did that feel like? What did that look like? I, I think uh, I've been trying to think of just some some key words, and, and I, I just want to contrast um, most places um, in, in real estate is it's a workplace. And, and I think the first thing from the moment I walked in, um, and, and if you ever heard about an interview process, my final interview with Eric was three hours. And in that interview, um, from that moment, uh, you, I could tell that the, the culture of this place was something radically different. Um, and what I mean by that is, Eric, by the end of those three hours, my whole life story, um, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, my dreams, my aspirations, he took my whole mask off. Uh, it took a couple swear words coming out of me, <laughs> as, as Eric has, has jokingly talked you about. You said the F word at least five times in your interview, and I have no idea why I kept you around. I don't know, man. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was something different. And... Uh, I, I think what I could tell in that, that moment was I was entering into a workplace that wasn't just an eight to five job where, where I go to work with people. Um, when I joined the team, it quickly became my family. Um, and, and I think if there's really one word that, that is abundant in, in our culture, if you were to walk in, is there's a lot of love for each other. Um, there's a ton of hugs and, and connection and it's not this normal workplace where you just go there and you check out. Uh, Jim, one of our ISAs, I think, put it best. He said that he hates Fridays and loves Mondays um, because he wants to be around these people. Because um, in our world, you know, beyond love, uh, other things, we challenge each other. Uh, we're constantly trying to grow and become the better versions of ourselves. And uh, with that comes a lot of opportunity and, and trust. Um, but the core tenant is really. I would say love, which isn't talked about enough. Uh, Robbie, you said that there's a lot of hugs, but you have to know that the difference between a hug and a chokehold <laughs> is merely arm placement. And so those that you love are those that make you the most crazy. Uh, Izzy, you can quote that one all day long, okay? is uh, <laughs> The difference between a hug and a chokehold is merely arm placement. True. And, and and realistically, those that we work in close confinement with, uh, you have to make sure that you love them, yeah. uh, not tolerate them, not put up with them. Yeah. Uh, these have to be people that you uh, can trust. Mm-hmm. Patrick Lencioni has uh, the five dysfunctions of a team, and the core dysfunction is a lack of trust. Mm-hmm. And the people that I trust the most are the people that I love the most. And yeah, they maybe make me the most crazy. But uh, as, as we circle back here uh, to the, the crux of the conversation, um, Nate, you had said basically what is what is the culture of our company? And what's happened now come, uh, come 2013 and 2014 is it wasn't Eric and the Rockettes anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we instead, when we were down to three people and rebuilt, I realized that my core function as a leader had to be to help our team members succeed. It was no, I knew how to sell houses, uh, but I had to transition my energy uh, even more so than it ever had been into leading people. 
and uh, helping them build runways. We are an airport and we are a hub for amazing talent. And of course, uh, I think of us as a country club, exceedingly exclusive to get into and amazingly inclusive once you're there. And so for us, our culture has uh, an energy to it. Uh, but the the piece de resistance, the, the, the thing that most people don't assimilate with their culture is the culture of high production. Mm -hmm. uh, most people will say our culture is warm and ooey gooey and touchy feely and we love each other and we have fun and we have a ping pong table and that means we have a great culture and a ping pong table is a thing. It's not a culture. Mm -hmm. And instead, the, the, the piece that has gotten me, I think, to this place now, and I love where I'm at. I'm not satisfied with where we are. I am hungry and tenacious as the day is long, but I am so thrilled as, as to where we find ourselves today. It's because we've created a culture of high production and high performance. And so let me break that down, if I may, but let me pause. I, think, I mean, the, I'm going to go on a tangent here. Nate, Robbie, what the, am I missing? The piece that Robbie um, mentioned was, you know, other than love, which is obviously an important factor of culture, is the fact that you're challenging each other. I think that from, from my perspective, I don't work at Hatch, but being close to you guys, yeah. that's the number one thing that I've seen is, you know, when we were in the mastermind in Los Angeles, sitting around the hot tub, you guys just weren't talking about, you know, what you want to do on the weekend mm -hmm. and how you can hang out with each other. It was, it was genuine, challenging conversations with one another in your passive time. And I think that that is the one from an outsider's perspective. Mm -hmm. That's what I can take away from, from your guys' company. Yeah. I, I want to add to that. I, I think to, to kind of layer in before you get into high production, that was one of the things that was very self-evident was Eric was very intentional in creating a business that was going to do real estate very differently. Um, and Eric, uh, you, you always said that uh, we're in the business of helping people. We just happen to sell real estate. And now that's just evolved to coaching and many other things. But we we are a place that's really focused on, on growth and challenging each other. And, and I think we never had it in our mind to just be another real estate company in Fargo. Uh, that was never a part of our MO. And that required us mm -hmm. to be a culture of high production um, to bring things to the next level. Uh, it boiled down to this is I didn't want to look like everybody else. Yeah. I didn't want a world that had the continual churning of people. Mm -hmm. I've heard other real estate uh, industry professionals and major influencers talk about how, let's say a buyer agent, right? Let's say a buyer agent is on a team and they start right here and they get to 10, 15, 20, maybe 25 deals that they can do uh, with the team. And then almost always they are gone and they don't stay with the team. Where in our world, uh, the average production of our agents they start right here and they come on board as showing partners or listing partners and they earn the right to actually have the privilege of selling real estate on our team. And as they earn uh, their first year, the standard that they have to adhere to is 36 transactions. When realistically in our world, uh, our average buyer agent sells over 60 homes a year and our average listing agent sells 90 homes a year. These are nearly unmatched in the industry. Uh, I, 
we've had a, a crazy 2018. It's 2019 now. In 2018, we learned a lot of lessons because we didn't have the retention that we had of previous years. In previous years, we had held on to everybody that had ever started with us. And I can say proudly that any agent that's ever started with us uh, in real estate outside of the ISA department, anybody who started on the buy side or the listing side are still in the business, even if they're not with me mm -hmm. uh, and with us. And so we figured out how to give people in a culture the possibility to have exceedingly big lives. But right now, I promise you, somebody is watching this or listening to this and saying, yeah, but... And that yeah, but is saying, I want to keep people right about here or so, because if they come here, they're bigger headaches. If they come here, they gonna leave. Mm -hmm. If they come here over to, to this massive amount of production, they're not going to stay with us. Uh, they don't desire to be here anymore because our value proposition that we think exists is we're going to help you sell some houses. And there's an amazingly different thing that happens when the leaders and the rainmakers and the influencers of an organization show up. And I say every day, Nate Jones, if you're on my team, every day I'm going to do whatever it takes to help you get to your goals. And that looks so different than anybody else saying, all right, what's your goal? Okay, here's what we're going to give you. Good luck. It's, it's a slight difference, but it's everything. And so as we've created this culture now, uh, we've had people earn the right to be a high producer. Mm -hmm. The real estate industry it, as a model and in, in and of itself is a broken model because I think that people sign up and they get thrown to the wolves. And if they know how to fight, they're going to make it. And if they don't know how to fight, they're going to get eaten. And what is it? 75 or 80% of people don't make it past their first year. And I think that's unacceptable. Uh, we have to do better for our people. This is not – now, I, I, can, I can tell you this, Nate. Uh, if I wanted, we could open up the floodgates and hire three or four times as many agents as we already have. Mm -hmm. And I actually think we would sell more houses. Uh, we'd, we'd sell more houses because we would have so many more people in the batter's box taking swings. But I would have no all-stars. And if I have no all-stars, who in the world is going to influence these people? Mm -hmm. Influence from the top, you can get influence from the bottom. And if all you have are new folks and folks who can't sell more than 20 or 25 homes in a year, which is still a respectable deal of homes, mm -hmm. if that's all you have are people that are selling 20 or 25, that's all you're ever going to have. And for me, I get the most obscene amount of joy from influencing the mm -hmm. influencers. Yeah. It in fact is why we're coaching in the first place and why we've built our infrastructure with Hatch Realty as such that people start here and they can climb all the way up and all the way up. And then this forces me to continue to make our world even bigger and even more grand so that I don't lose people. I'm not giving them the keys to the kingdom, but I'm opening the door with them and showing them what's possible. Mm -hmm. Now, the people who seem to stay in our environment uh, are, are those that are massively high in production. Mm -hmm. um, as an example, we have a guy who is uh, a, a younger agent. He was a teacher previous and then came to us uh, through some connections. And in his second full-time year of being a buyer agent, he sold seven houses for $1.72 million worth of volume last week. Ever. 
That's one week of real estate, seven houses. And five of those seven houses were from his sphere. What a bait and hook, by the way. That was... Five of those seven houses were from his sphere. The company gave him two of those. One was a $500,000 deal and one was a $200,000 deal. But he brought in a million. We brought in 700,000 and he's not going anywhere. And the reason why is because I'll go to him and I'll say, Tyler, you crushed it last week. How can I help you to get what you want? It's, it's, it's such a small change, but we have a culture of excellence now. And the problem, the, the whole topic is, is your culture wrong? And I believe that if your culture is wrong, it's when you have more of the people over here than you do over here. And these people, if you want Navy SEALs, you have to have a Navy. That's a Ben Kinney quote. I'm not, that's not an Eric Hatch original, but I'm happy to steal it. Is if you want a Navy SEAL, you have to have a Navy and they earn the right to move this away. And as they move this away and they start producing more, they now have influence on the people over here. And giving somebody not only permission to crush it as a producer, but also giving them influence within your organization creates an ambiance that I think people are drawn to. And you can give them more than they exceedingly could create on their own. Let me pause and take a drink. <laughs> so I, I want to add into that. I, I think um, I, I'm a big fan of the quote, um, you either innovate or you die. And the reality is this, there's really two different models from what I've seen. And Eric, you're describing one where you actively try to create A players. And I have heard from many people in real estate, don't get A players because A players always leave. And the problem with that is this, is that, Eric, we would be stagnant if all the innovation only came from you. And I think you would be the first person to admit that. Um, mm -hmm. All of the ISA innovation came from me and others, other A players that are in our world. The innovation on the buy side is coming from these A players. And here's the reality. I love our model because it's one that encourages and curates innovation at all levels of the organization. And my biggest fear, if you are just the A player at the very top and you're like, I'm not gonna get those A players because they don't stick around. And the reality is it's easier because in order for you to retain A level talent, you gotta be an A level leader. There's no way an A level talent can stick no, around. With say that again, say that again, because you say a lot of dumb things, but that was not one of them. Uh, I don't even know what I said. I just, you said you said A level talent won't stick around unless you're an A level leader. Yes, it's if you're an, if you're A level talent and you're stuck behind a B level leader, you're going to leave and create your own thing. And it's tough because leadership is 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 a nasty, tough thing to do. Uh, but it is one thing that allows you to create innovation at so many different levels. And again, to yeah. end on the quote, I started I mean, with that was, that was incredible. <laughs> I'm just like in awe at like listening to, to all this and how, how clearly different your, your culture <laughs> is from, um, from the unsuccessful. I mean, from, from an outsider's perspective, I see, I see a ridiculous amount of turnover. In, in real estate, in, in companies we work with, it's it's alarming to me, but I've never been in the industry mm -hmm. before. So uh, that's probably why it's so mm -hmm. alarming to, to hear you guys say, um, 
that you're keeping the amount of sure. people that you are. And, and, you know, I think that I want to, to counter that with in, in our previous episode, episode seven, uh, in our previous webinar, you guys, you guys didn't have it all figured out with your, you know, you guys lost, you guys lost what three of three of five buyers agents. Was that right? Last year. Five of eight. Yeah. And yeah, yeah last I mean, year, that's, last year that's, we lost five of our eight buyers. I would agents, highly yeah. recommend first listening to that webinar followed by this webinar and just kind of, you know, comparing and contrasting. And I think you'd learn a lot uh, if you're listening now um, by comparing those mm -hmm. and just hearing the journey that Hatch went through uh, because they didn't have it all figured out. You guys didn't have it all figured out. You guys, are, we still don't. Um, but I think that kind of leads me into to one question. No, we still don't, man. Yeah. Two, were there any, were there any early indicators that, you know, those five of eight um, would leave? Why, like, were those people not a culture fit? Did they not buy into what we're talking about here? Um, what are the indicators of potentially the, you know, I wouldn't say low producers, but if we're, if we're, you know, saying the people that shouldn't be in your company are quote low producers, what are some of those, those indicators of potentially not a culture fit? Uh, so I have to isolate this yes. because yep. a low producer in our world is traditionally a high producer in someone else's world. Um, our, our, our lowest producer, and let me go back to 2017, our lowest producer did 32 deals. Our standard was 36. So that person was under our standard and thus got put on a performance improvement plan. Um, the five that we lost in uh, 2018, uh, one we had to remove from the company for uh, falling out of culture. Uh, one uh, blindsided us and surprised us. Uh, her life had changed. And as her life had changed, we hadn't necessarily adapted and met her where she was at. She was immediately tied to one of our agents that we knew would go with her. Uh, and so um, when they, when one goes, usually two goes. And the same was with the first person. Um, he had someone that he was closely tied to. And so that person went also. Um, the fifth moved across country. And so let's take those things and, and to your question, Nate, you're, you're, you're challenging to ask about culture issues and uh, when does somebody fall out of culture, right? When, when are the early indicators? Mm -hmm. um, and the easiest thing, if we're talking about cu culture in terms of production, uh, is very much understanding the lead indicators of what's going on. Uh, in our world, this is this is uh, of everything I teach on, everything I coach on. This is the baseline, 100 level, yet so important uh, type of piece. So at the foundation here, we have standards. Most teams, believe it or not, Nate, don't have standards. They instead have suggestions. Okay? <laughs> uh, we suggest you sell 24 homes a year. And then if you say, well, what's the consequence that comes from not meeting that suggestion or that standard? And if they don't have an answer of what the consequence is, you don't have standards, you just have suggestions. So a standard is nobody's allowed to fall below this. Everybody has to be at this level, no matter how you do it, everybody has to be here. Now, you of course allow a couple months of grace when somebody's coming in that, that they're not gonna produce in their first month like somebody will in their 13th month. And so you have to crescendo that in. But after standards that everybody needs to adhere to are goals. 
and the goals are those of the individual agents, not of the company. The standards are just the rules that everybody is agreeing to play by. And if you break a rule, there has to be a consequence associated with it. Otherwise, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Then you have your goals here in the middle, and the goals are those of that individual agent. That is how you will best lead that person. My coach told me that if you hold somebody accountable to your goals, they'll resent you. But if you hold them accountable to their goals, they'll thank you. And so great leaders mirror and match and they find out what Robbie's goals are. And if Robbie's goals are here in the middle, we're going to make sure that this is what I'm reminding Robbie of. This is where I'm creating all of his daily tasks and everything else that needs to show up. And then above this up here are expectations and great leaders pour into people with exceedingly high expectations. If I were to say to you, Nate, uh, you know what, Nate, I know that you wanted to sell 40 homes this year. Um, yeah, I think you can probably do it. Good luck. Or if I said, Nate, your goal is to sell 40 homes. Our standard is to sell 36. Dude, I don't know if you see it in you, but I think you're amazing. And I'm betting on you big because I think you can do huge things in our world. And I bet you can get to 50 this year. Now, if you want to get to 50, if you do, I'm going to help you get there. But I'm going to tell you that you have something inside of you that very few people in this world have. And I'm going to do everything I can to pour into you. Okay? Those are high expectations. And those high expectations are usually met with some resistance, and yet it will rise the tide. And so to your original question, Nate, how do we indicate that people are maybe out of culture or what are some of those lead early indicators is, of course, if they are not meeting standard. Let's just make the assumption everybody's meeting standard, that they're showing up when they're supposed to show up to lead generate, uh, that your best practices. And remember, when we're working with independent agents, which most, most of our team members are, they are not adhered to with standards. Like we can't say you have to do these bare minimums. You can't hold them contractually to it or you will be in a legal mess. Instead, you create best practices and you can giveth and taketh away any opportunities that you'd like. Amen. And so uh, we monitor people's lead measures. And if they're not doing their job, they have consequences. And their job is to meet the standards, to strive for their goals, and to believe in the expectations that are set for them. Robbie, I know you're chomping at the bit. I was going to say uh, that that's, that's the only way I have figured out how to give a natural consequence and it's not a punishment it's a natural consequence when people fall below standard is we do everything we can to help them get above standard um and there's got to be something that you know eats away and the reality is you own the opportunities that are created by your company through your marketing and you can give those to whoever you want so that's uh the only carrots um i i know that you can control um that influences behavior so that's it. Uh, I, I heard a quote recently and I'm going to butcher it, but you go ahead and say great quote, Eric, because uh, I'm a words of affirmation pe person. So please make me feel good after it. But um, a racehorse and a donkey are together and a donkey can't become a racehorse, but a racehorse can become a donkey. Mm. Okay. Uh, Everyone has influence. And oftentimes, if we think that our culture is as such, 
where we're going to have one superstar and we're going to have 10 mediocre players or 10 people at standard at best. Uh, there's a good chance that that superstar is either going to go and leave. It's the LeBron James story. They're going to go and leave and find another place where they're surrounded by superstars. Yes, they make other people better, but the, the people who are better do not foster the right environment for the superstars. And let me declare with every fiber of my being that your organization is better and more difficult with superstars. Okay. Yes. There, there are merely choice. There's not a right or wrong way to build a real estate team. There are merely choices and consequences. Choice number one is this, is you go wide and you have 20 agents and each one sells 10 to 20 homes and you can have a great life at that. I have a number of friends in the industry that have a life like that and they're smiling from ear to ear. I am endorsing that if that's the life that you want. The life that I want is I want to be surrounded by racehorses and I want innovators in my world and I want people to challenge me every day to get better instead of just seeking that out elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And it creates headaches because we're consistently what feels like reinventing the wheel because we're inviting people to have voice and they have voice because they have influence and they have influence because they are far above the standard and they are massively influential in my life and this industry. So let me pause there because I have one other piece I want to get to, uh, but I want to welcome your guys' I mean, thoughts as to I, where we're I've at right now. always been interested you first, in, in, in your wide versus kind of deep approach. Uh, there's, there's obviously extreme, like you said, choices and consequences made in each model. I think from a leadership perspective, um, as a team leader, it's probably a lot of headache to, to try and continuously stay on top of, of your, of those, those racehorses, but it allows you to go deeper in those individuals rather than the wide model. And I think that from from what I've learned from you guys is is that that breed of leadership is is most suited for the the deep uh, the deep model because you can invest you can you can set standards goals and you can go in and mm. talk to those racehorses every day about those extraordinarily high expectations and say hey I think you can do a hundred deals this year and they'll you know they'll say ah no way but then they'll go out and do it. Your, your culture has to support that too, Nate. Like you can't just say you're going to go. Like what resources, when we talk about building a runway, that, that agent still has to sell the houses. But what can I create that gives them the best possible environment that no other company on earth can give them? What kind of leverage, what kind of mentoring, what kind of guidance, what kind of energy can I share with them and pour into them so that 100 is possible? Mm -hmm. Because... The racehorse still needs all the right nurturing. It needs all the right nutrients and it needs the right racetrack in order to run exceedingly fast. Mm -hmm. I like that. One piece I want to add to this as well. Uh, and Nate, I don't know if you're frozen or not, but you might be, but we're going to continue anyways. Um, it, it, it's something that uh, I call, uh, no, I don't call it, but uh, I studied called the banister effect. And I think that's what's been really cool about our team going super deep. Um, with really, um, with, with a lot of A players is I remember the days, Eric, when selling 50 homes as a buyer agent was just un unthinkable, right? And then we hit 50. 
And now we're talking, you know, I think Tyler Lindell and Kyle is here will push, you know, 80, 90. And, uh, you know, the Bannister effect basically uh, is named after a guy named Roger Bannister, who was the first guy to run a four minute mile. And really what that means is this, is that human beings wait for the first person to do it. And then once that's done, people buy into it. And uh, what happened when Roger, Roger Bannister ran the first four minute mile was like in the next month or two afterwards, a ton of other people did it. And that's what keeps happening in our world is because we have those eight players setting that pace and showing and being the, the living rendition of the Bannister effect, people keep pushing the bar higher and higher. And that's one of the, um, I would say, the advantages of, of, of recruiting and trying to retain A players. The other piece is this, is that I'm sure you guys have maybe noticed, I'm going to point it out, is Eric and I rarely, rarely, rarely talk about this one word, and it's management. Um, there is very little management in our world. Uh, instead, there's an incredible amount of leadership. And leadership goes deep. And I think when you go wide, you need more managers to manage things. When you go deep, management is not as big a deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we manage systems and we lead people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, final piece that we're going to wrap with here. And I, uh, Nate uh, jumped off. Can anybody still hear us? Uh, just type in. I want to make sure that we're not just talking to each other. Oh, hey, Izzy. Great to see you. <laughs> Okay, we're good to go. Uh, okay. This final piece is a, a thing that I have studied uh, in pretty great depth as a real estate coach. And it is the rule of 20 to one. Please write that down if you're taking notes right now, because this rule of 20 to one, uh, I believe shows health in an organization. Um, I believe that a solid real estate team can do 20 transactions per team member, okay? Uh, not per salesperson, per team member, because we're all built differently. We have different pieces of leverage. Uh, from that, you have extra expenses that of course come in and there are just consequences and choices that we're making throughout. But this rule of 20 to one, I believe tells us if we're erring on the side of uh, a deeper model or a wider model. And once again, let me tell you that there are benefits to both and there are consequences to both. But that wider model of having each agent do 10 or 15 or 20 deals each has you under that 20 to one ratio. Because of course there's some support staff that's a part of that also. So quickly, I'd imagine some of you are doing the math on your team, trying to figure out how many total team members. And if you have a part-time person that does 20 hours a week, figure that person as a 0.5, right? As you do your numbers, and I'll, I'll share with you Hatch Realty's numbers, uh, we did 664 transactions last year, and we finished with 34 team members. So if I take 34 times 20, that should tell me that 680 is the number of transactions that we should have done. And we did 64. So we were right there. We were about 19 and a half to one. Uh, but I think that a real efficient team, and in fact, my friend Chan, Chad Schwindeman in Brainerd, Minnesota, he has like a 30 to one ratio. It's obscene. And he, by the way, is a community of like 60,000 people too. And his team had nearly a thousand transactions last year. Crazy numbers. But what, it, what it comes down to is this, is if you want to know if you're efficient and if you have a hole in your culture and that culture is a culture of high production, 
we need to we need to expand our minds. We no longer talk about culture just as if we're nice, good people, uh, and we like spending time with them. But it's also the culture of are we pushing one another and are we creating an environment that helps people win all day, every day? And if that's the case, then your 20 to one ratio, I think is the way in which you measure that. Mm-hmm. If you're 21 or 22 or 23 to one, I think you're hitting that culture's nail on the head. If you're 14 or 15 or 16 to one, you have some inefficiencies and some opportunities, I think to run a very deep model that supports people winning. Mm-hmm. The, the, the crux of all this, I think, relates to back what Rob to what Robbie said a couple moments ago. And that is A-level talent won't stay around a uh, leaders who aren't A-level, at least for very long. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is an A-level talent, unless you as a leader are creating that kind of environment for them to be loved, to have exceedingly high expectations. For them to win and everything else, I think the opportunity is ripe for you right now to jump in and to win. Robbie, mm-hmm. give me your final thoughts. Yeah, my my final thought is it looks like uh, the snowstorm in Ames got a lot worse than we thought it was going to be, and it crashed the internet. Uh, no, I, I think you're 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 exactly right, and I want to add just one more perspective. Uh, I want to talk about the hot tub that Nate brought up earlier when we were down in our mastermind. Uh, so we love the hot tub at, at Hatch Realty and, and Hatch Coaching. Um, what's really cool is this, is that the people that are driving Hatch Realty, frankly, is not this guy. It's not Eric. Um, it's not me. It, it's a group of individuals that are, are more talented than us. And I think that's what's so cool about this is you're, you're talking about the 20 to 1 ratio, but each of those people... Uh, especially a ton of them are, are the drivers of what's coming next um, in, in that world. And I've always said that the whole goal of our company is to build something where if Eric were to disappear tomorrow, the company keeps running and frankly runs better. And I think that doing that in a, a wide model is extremely difficult. It's tough to have that as a saleable asset in our world. And this sounds really gross. But if Eric were to disappear tomorrow, um, if he were to go on a vacation for a year, I personally believe Hatch Realty wouldn't miss a beat um, because we have great people that are there that are more than equipped to run the show. So um, that's that's what I think uh, we're, we're trying to build here in that deep model is something that's sustainable. Um, and uh, well, there's, there is a scarcity mindset around not letting A players into your world or giving them uh, an environment to grow exceedingly well. Mm-hmm. And that scarcity mindset is is related to ego. And I'm like king ego, guys, uh, sometimes. I, I, I'm this interesting blend of like super egotistical and like the most insecure person you're ever going to meet. So it's a, it's, a really, it's a really great thing every time I look in the mirror. Uh, what, what it boils down to in its simplest form is how in the world can we create uh, for our folks a place for them to step in and win? Mm-hmm. And win means uh, we have to get out of the way. And, and our true measure of success is not the amount of money I have in my bank account, uh, although that's important. Uh, the true measure of success is the amount of influence you have and the influence that you give to other people. 
because realistically hatch realty in just remember i started real estate in 2011 hatch realty opened in 2014 and as of today i spend two days a week with hatch realty and i kind of get in the way a little bit mm -hmm. and so i think what robbie said is true is i can get out of there right now because we've bred great leaders we've mm -hmm. given permission for a players to exist and now i get to go and build some other things so selfishly, it's a great move for me, but you have to get past that first step of ego. Mm -hmm. So let me wrap with this since Nate isn't able to jump back on. Uh, I want to say thanks first to Structurally. Uh, they're an artificial intelligence ISA company. And if you haven't looked into them, you really need to do so. Uh -huh. Izzy joined. Hey, Izzy. Um, I'm most. Nate isn't unable to get internet. So. Okay. Well, uh, maybe, maybe Iowa can get internet soon. It'll be great. Uh, <laughs> The small town of Garner, Iowa is doing just fine. So it must be the problem. But uh, Robbie and I with Hatch Coaching and Hatch Realty are huge believers in, uh, in structurally. They've been massive for our business. And so consider looking into them. Uh, you can check us out at hatchcoaching.com or go to structurally.com and see all the goods that are out there. So on behalf of Nate Jones and Izzy and Robbie T and myself, Eric Hatch, uh, have a beautiful Tuesday and much love. Peace, y'all.